Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. Hey, I want to encourage you. Next week is Easter. Look at that enthusiasm. <laughs> we had one person this morning wore this beautiful, bright, colored spring dress. And it was like, most of us are still like in our winterish garb, you know. <laughs> it looked like this one flower breaking through. It's like, oh yeah, Easter's next week. So, so um, get ready for Easter. That should be fantastic. That's kind of how that service hits us at times because it's, oh yeah, remember? You know, Jesus rose from the dead and all that. Changed everything. It's a good thing, amen? Hey, uh, we have some invite cards uh, that BJ told you about. Uh, I want to encourage you guys to do something. Many times people will pick those up and they'll go like stick them on windshields or they'll like put a pile of them in at a coffee shop or something. I want to encourage you not to do that. I want to encourage you maybe to start praying and say, God, could you maybe open an opportunity with a live person? You guys going live people? I don't like live people. But um, maybe ask God to give you the courage to just really make that kind of, that live ask to somebody, maybe a friend, maybe a family member to come and join us for worship and celebration next week. Uh, See how it goes. Who knows? Might surprise yourself, right? And it's Easter, so, right? Again, the enthusiasm is just killing me here. It's just (laughs) killing me. Hey, uh, so yesterday, yesterday was another super big celebration. Yesterday was April 1st. April Fool's Day. So how many of you guys made it out to the big parade? Anybody? No? Anybody make it to the free food giveaway at Dave's Market? Anybody? No? No. How many of you guys have ever been taken in by, by a prank like that before? Maybe it was April Fool's Day or a normal day, right? Somebody, they tell you the thing, you're going, that's amazing, and you go running out there and they're not there, right? You know why we fall for that kind of stuff? It's because we are always hoping, always hoping that in our lives, these amazing and unexpected things will happen. And the second thing that we're always committing to is we don't want to miss it if it happens, right? Because there's nothing worse than you missing out in a once of a lifetime kind of experience because you didn't believe it was going to pull off. And then you find out later, all your friends say, yeah, it happened. And you're going, oh, right? But that's also what suckers us into like uh, pitches about condo sales, right? <laughs> and, and these multi-tier you know, partnership opportunities, <laughs> those kind of things. And we're going, wait a second, I think you bait and switched me here. But it's because we really want, we believe that these, these amazing things are going to happen. And some of that is because God tells us he'll do amazing stuff in our life that we're not expecting, doesn't he? And so some of it, we go through our lives kind of prep for that, but it's hope, hope and expectation. It's a powerful combination. Palm Sunday, the original Palm Sunday was full of hope and expectation. In fact, it's called Palm Sunday because people were literally tearing palm trees apart because of their hopes and expectations of what was going on. So we're going to stand. Let's stand together. We are going to be reading an account of that original Palm Sunday. It's found in John 12, verse 12 to 19. It says, On the next day, when the large crowd who had come to celebrate the Passover heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches from palm trees and went out to meet him. They began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. That kind of rings with hopes and expectations, doesn't it? Jesus found a young donkey and he rode on it as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. 
At the time, his disciples didn't understand what he was doing, but after Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had happened. Now the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, they also continued to testify about him. And for that reason, many people went out to meet him because they heard that he had performed this miracle, this sign. And the Pharisees said to one another, you can see that we're not doing any good discouraging this. Look, the whole world has gone out after him. Hopes and expectations, right? Hopes and expectations. There are just layers and layers of it in just these few verses. And we're gonna look at some of those. What we're gonna find out though is that sometimes our hopes and expectations, in fact, often our hopes and expectations, instead of helping us to see God more clearly. Instead, they kind of wrap around our hearts, they wrap around our minds, they wrap around our eyes so that we completely miss what God is actually up to. That's what happened on Palm Sunday. It happens to us, doesn't it? We have an expectation we put on God and he doesn't meet it. We find out we didn't know anything about what he was doing. That's what we're gonna find out in the story on Palm Sunday. But today's message, it's not about how those things get wrapped up on us. We know, right? We know about that. That happens all the time. Today's message is titled, Taking Off the Old Wrappings. How many of you guys wanna see Jesus this morning? Yeah? I mean, we always come here because he says, you know what? If we seek him, we'll find him. And that's what we're looking for. Well, I think the Spirit wants to show us how to do that today. Amen? Let's pray. Father, um, we come to you because we're not able to do these things ourselves. We can't save ourselves. There's no step of this salvation and restoration and sanctification process. There's not a step of it that we can cover ourselves. We don't have the power. We don't have the wisdom. We don't even know what we're doing. We don't know where we're going or how we're going to get there. But you do, and your Spirit is here this morning. And he, he is here to bring us into that place that you have called us. He is here to bring us into that life that you have called us to. So Father, we ask that you would set this place apart for your work, this time and this space. And we give you our attention. We give you our hearts and our, our minds. We give you our, our eyes and our ears to see and to hear the things that the Spirit is speaking this morning. So Jesus, make yourself known. Holy Spirit, show us him, him, him alone. No other, no distractions, no, no distortions, no cloudy visions. We want to see Jesus this morning. So show us, show us through your word how we might know him better, how we might see him clearer. We pray these things, Father, in your name that you might be glorified. Jesus, in your name that you might be lifted up. Holy Spirit, in your name because we know it's only by your power that we can do these things. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. If any of you have seen uh, the movie, there was a movie that just came out recently. It was called Jesus Revolution. If you've seen that movie, you know anything about it, you know it's based on the events of this really highly impacting move of God that happened in Southern California back in the 1960s, late 60s, early 70s. And during that time, there were miracles there was this sense of the presence of God that was just 
filled places that just, um, just as you were walking down the street, you just sensed that God was doing things, God was moving. And there were thousands of people that were coming to Christ. In fact, there are so many people coming to Jesus <laughs> that the only place that was big enough to baptize all of them was in the Pacific Ocean. So regularly they would have these baptisms and baptize hundreds of people at a time who were coming to Jesus during that, that move. On April 8th of 1966, before all of that broke out, Time Magazine, it was a weekly magazine at that point, and they put out their weekly edition, and on the cover it had this question, said, is God dead? By 1971, the June 21st issue of the same magazine, five years later, the cover read Jesus Revolution because that's how radically things had changed in just five years because of this movement. This movement changed everything about the, the landscape of the church. Some of the things we just take for granted as just part of what church is, they came out of this movement. So some of these modern, these mega churches that you see, some of the first megachurches came out of that movement. Some of the, the contemporary Christian music that many of you listen to came out of that movement. Some of the contemporary worship that we find in our churches came out of that movement. This was a major influence on the people of God. You know, about a decade later, when in the 1980s, I was in high school and we experienced a move of God as well. It was, it was smaller in scale, but it was similar in, in impact. We saw the same kind of miracles happening. We had that sense of every day just being in this, the presence of God, God walking with us as we went through our high school or through our college or we walked through our town. We saw God changing lives and seeing some of the most unexpected people making their way to Jesus. And we didn't have a, ocean anywhere close to where I was at in Colorado. And so, but we did, we did find that we would often find ourselves out at the local uh, reservoir doing baptisms because there were so many people. Now, these weren't the first, nor will they be the last moves of God where the spirit of God moves in people's lives in such a way that they become incredibly aware of God's presence and incredibly aware of their need for Jesus. There have been moves in the past, revivals in the past that have swept the whole globe that have changed whole generations. There have been revivals in the past that have changed nations, have shut down oppression, have completely have helped nations avoid and avert wars. And do you know what these things, you know what they do to us? You know what they create in us? Even the stories about them, when you hear them, you know what it stirs up in you? Hopes and expectations, right? These hopes and expectations, because we hope that maybe God will, maybe he can and will move in our day, the way that we've heard about that he's moved in other days and other times and in our lives and the ways that we've heard. That's why, you know, just... A couple of months ago in February, there were thousands of people from around the globe and they all went to this, there was this little college, Asbury College in Kentucky, Wilmore, Kentucky, that they had this chapel service, just a normal chapel service that week. But then it just kept going. It kept going for 24 hours and then it went 24 more hours and it became this 24 hour a day, seven day a week encounter with the living God that went on for a month. And people are going, maybe God's there. And they just, from all over the world, they descended on this little town. 
That's why people go to visit places like Trinity Church in Brompton, where they know God has moved, or out to Hillsong Church in, in Australia, where they know God has moved, or they go to Bethel Church, or they go to International House of Prayer, or they, they go and they walk the Camino out in Spain, or else they're going to be baptized in the Jordan River out in, in Israel. Because we want to be there when God moves, and so we try to go to the places that people say God is, right? Hopes and expectations that are stirred up in us. That's what that first Palm Sunday was like. You guys, it was so full of hope and expectation. The people that were walking on the street that day, they were maybe two generations away from and had been raised on the stories about how God had intervened in the lives of his people and they had pulled the people of the, the Jewish people out from under the control of Greece so that they had this independent state of Judea just like they had known back in the time of the kings and of King David when they could worship God as he called them to. The, the people that were there that were coming to the, to the Jerusalem that day, they were coming by the thousands because they were there to celebrate the Passover, the Passover, which was a celebration about how God 1,500 years before had rescued the people, had just reached into the mightiest nation of that time of Egypt and pulled the people of God, had pulled his people out from slavery there were thousands of them there. In fact, there were probably hundreds of thousands of them there because they believed that if they would be faithful to these memories, faithful to these feasts that God had called them to and the way he had called them to these feasts that he would, he would send his final deliverer. He would send his Messiah that then would set up the kingdom of God, would set up the promises, the things that God had promised hundreds of years before through the prophets. So this place was just full of, if you can imagine, just every person just to the brim, overflowing with this sense of expectation. If you read through the passage, you see these. And I want you to listen to these. I want you to listen to the people. These are the people. What might have brought the different people there and the reason I want you to pay attention because I think this has everything to do with us as well. But some of the people were there because they were following Jesus, right? They were his disciples. So of course they're there, they're following Jesus. Some of the people were there because they're celebrating the traditions of their faith, the Passover, and with all the hopes that are attached to that. Some of the people that were there, they were looking for Jesus because they had heard about the miracles, they had heard about the healings, and they were hoping Jesus might be able to do something for them. Some of the people were there because they had heard about a specific, a specific miracle where Jesus had raised someone from the dead. Man, if you had heard that and you thought, man, I wonder what somebody who raises somebody from the dead looks like, right? Right? If you could see somebody, they're out there seeing if they can see this guy that raised somebody from the dead. And maybe they might even be able to catch a glimpse of Lazarus, who actually was raised from the dead. I mean, if you want to talk about something that pours fuel on the fire of their expectations, the expectation that God might be at work, you hear this story about a guy raised from the dead. So they're there. Some of the people were hoping that this Messiah, that if this is the guy, maybe he'd lead a military coup. Maybe he'd get them out from under the power of Rome the way that God had gotten them out of the power of, of Greece and out from under the power of Egypt before. Some of them were hoping for a political shift 
where Jesus might rise up and he might take his throne as king, as the son of David, and that the kingdom might be restored. You know, the Romans, the Roman soldiers were there too. They were there to make sure none of that stuff happened, right? And then it talks about in the last verse of our passage, it says that there were also the religious leaders that were there. And they were there, you find out later, to try and get hold of Jesus because they wanted to put him to death. If you read the two verses just before the section that we read, you find out that they wanted to find Lazarus and put him to death too because even by telling the story about how Jesus raised him from the dead, he was stirring things up and he was messing up their world. But here's this place and it is just brimming with these hopes and these expectations and all these agendas and they're all packed into this little small space. This is like a powder keg. So can, you can imagine why it was that things blew up the way they did by the time you hit Friday, right? And the truth is, is that as you think about those things, those things are not that far from us, are they? It's not that far from when we gather together. This may be a smaller version of that, but we have a lot of those same kind of hopes and expectations in this room, don't we? Some of you guys are here because you follow Jesus. You're his disciple. You follow him. You just, wherever he shows up, you're going to show up. And so you're here regularly on Sunday mornings because this is where Jesus is. Some of you are here because you're celebrating the, the traditions and the hopes of our faith. And we're celebrating them in the way that God has called us to with the hope that that will bring about a better world. Some of you are here because you've heard of the things that Jesus does. You've heard of the miracles. You've heard of the healings. And you're hoping that Jesus will do something for you this morning. Some of you guys are here because you've heard about a specific miracle. You've heard about something that Jesus did. And you're just here looking for maybe evidence that that kind of stuff goes on. You're looking for that Lazarus who actually got raised from the dead. You're looking for that person who prayed that prayer that God moved through. You want to hear those firsthand accounts, what God is up to. Some of you guys might even be here hoping that Jesus is going to rise up and lead some kind of military coup or lead some kind of political shift that will finally kick out all the, all the the, just the godlessness in our culture and in our world and raise our nation up to glory or our, this generation up to that glory that you know that he wants. Some of you might even be like the Romans, might be like those religious leaders who you're gonna make sure that none of that stuff happens this morning because that would mess up everything. That would mess up the world and everything that you consider worthwhile and important. It just stirs things up too much. Got to keep a lid on that kind of stuff. So we're not really all that far away from that original Palm Sunday, are we? I think all of us can see ourselves in that story. And here's the thing. Think about what happened in that story. If we were to read on, Jesus doesn't meet any of those expectations. None of them. There was no military coup. In fact, Jesus pulled aside his disciples later that week and he said, you know what? If I wanted to, I could have called down 12 legions of angels to take this thing over. 
12 legions, that's 60 to 70,000 angels. Angels, those are heavenly warriors that every time one of them shows up, everybody falls down and can't stop shaking. The first thing they always have to say is, don't be afraid, right? 60 to 70,000 of them. But he said he didn't do it. There was no political shift. In fact, Mark says that Jesus, after this parade into, the, into Jerusalem, as he came and he went to the temple, and the temple would have been the place that a new king would have been coronated. He would have been crowned and anointed and acclaimed. And he went to the temple, and you know what he did? He just looked around and it says, and went home. And you're going, what are you doing? But there was no political shift that was going to happen that, that week. There was... There were, if you read the Gospels, you find there were almost no miracles. You read Jesus' life before he gets to Jerusalem, and it was like one miracle after another. That week before his crucifixion, his resurrection, almost nothing, and especially not the kind that are going to draw any kind of a crowd. There was a fig tree that died. Woo, that's a big one, right? And then there was some poor guy that got his ear lopped off by Peter when he got a little overzealous when Jesus was being arrested and he pulls out his sword and cuts this guy's ear off and Jesus puts it back in. That's it on the miracles. So all these people looking for Jesus to do something for them or looking for the evidence of it wasn't happening. And you know, Lazarus, he's nowhere to be found. Here's this, the greatest proof of Jesus' greatest miracle. And he's not dragging him around like on a PR tour. Lazarus is nowhere. So he, none, none of the expectations, none of the hopes. Do you know what happens when a hope or an expectation is unmet? it turns into a disappointment. It turns into a, a disillusionment, right? It turns into a feeling of that I've been abandoned. It turns into a feeling that I've been betrayed. How many of you have ever felt that with God? You know, if you have kids, if you have kids, you know those moments that they look up at you with all of the disappointment, all of the hurt, and they say, but you promised, right? No matter whether you promised or not, you promised. You know what that is? That is an expectation that has been unmet it turned into a disappointment, a disillusionment, a sense of abandonment and betrayal. If you want to know what would lead Judas to sell Jesus out, if you want to know what would lead people to on the one day be shouting, Hosanna, welcome to the king, and this days later be shouting, crucify him, if you want to know what would change Peter's heart so that he who had followed Jesus and just days before said, I would lay down my life for you to deny that he ever knew him. If you want to know what causes us to turn our backs on God and walk away from him, to walk away from his church, to walk away from his work at times, that's it, right? It's when we have this expectation or this hope and it goes unmet and it turns into a disappointment and a disillusionment. 
and a feeling of abandonment and a feeling of betrayal. Some of you guys are there right now, right here. You're in that place where you feel like God has let you down. You're disappointed with him. You're confused by him. And in that moment, we ask why. God, why? 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 Why didn't you meet the expectations? Some of those people on Palm Sunday, they weren't looking for anything that you hadn't done for others. They weren't looking for anything that was just going to upend history. They were just looking for you to be there. Why? Why didn't you meet the, why don't you meet my expectations, my hopes in some of those moments? Why didn't you heal when I asked you to? Why didn't you provide when I needed you to? Why didn't you rescue me from that disaster when my job was imploding or when my marriage was, was coming unraveled? Why didn't you, why didn't you not, why do you not send your angels to just stop the madness in our world? You guys, just this last week, just this last month, just this last year, you just see the world going insane and people suffering because of it. And we go, God, why? Why don't you send your angels to intervene? Why don't you stop the corruption that's in our leaders? Why don't you stop the oppression of those who are innocent? Why? Sometimes our hopes and our expectations of God, instead of helping us see clearer what God wants to do, what he is doing, instead they are like these cloths that wrap around our heart, wrap around our mind, wrap around our eyes. Kind of like a mummy, kind of like a mummy in a tomb and keep us from seeing who God is what really matters and what he's actually up to. And I want you to hear this, what he is actually up to, to save us, to redeem us, to renew us and restore us and recreate this world and bring this world out from the pit it's in and bring it into the new creation. That's what he's doing, but we can't see it because of our expectations and our demands of how he would do that thing. Jesus doesn't meet the expectations of the people on Palm Sunday because he is up to something beyond anything they would expect, anything they would hope for, anything they could ask. The Bible says even anything they could even imagine. And he's doing it. There are times when our hopes and expectations, they actually need to be taken off, stripped away like those cloths that are binding us, that are keeping us so that we might actually see the things that God is doing. So that we might trust him as the God, can actually, the God who can actually do it. You guys, sometimes, and I, I don't even think sometimes, I think actually this is all the time. When, what we take, what we feel and experience is disappointment with God or disillusionment with God or we, we take as that, that abandonment of God or we take and we feel like it's the betrayal by God is actually God saving us in a way that we just can't even imagine. Why? Because God doesn't change. He is 
forever faithful. He is forever relentless in his pursuit of us to save us and to bring us out of the pit that we may be in and to bring us into the life that he has always intended for us. He never changes. He never changes that pursuit, but he's not gonna do it in the way that we might want him to because he knows that that way probably would fail. So instead, he stays on his plan to save us because he knows that that plan won't fail. You know what we find when we actually kind of set our pictures aside that we have created based on you know, our visions of the best possible future and we put those aside based on our hopes and our expectations, our demands of God. When we put those aside, you know what we find out about what Jesus is actually doing back in Palm Sunday, what he's actually doing now? He actually is. He is actually in the midst of a very, uh, <laughs> he was pulling off this, this, this war. He's waging a war on this present system of corruption and oppression. He's waging war right now, but at a level that we didn't even know existed. So he's, he's in the midst of crushing the power of sin, of silencing the demands that death has on us, of ending the reign of evil and of the, of the wickedness that not only drives the things we see in the world around us, but that actually drives us. And he is ending its reign. He is putting an end to its power. He did that at the cross. And now we just see that it's kind of just the working out of what that meant, of how then, how he pushes it outward so that it even affects our own lives. We find out that he actually has taken a throne, but it's a throne that's far above any, any throne and far above any politics that go on in this world. Because he, he rose and he sat at the right hand of God and that's where he is now on his throne at the right hand of God where he rules over everything, not just in time and space but throughout all of eternity. And you know what? He is doing miracles in us. But he's not just... He's not just doing those temporary miracles of the here and now. He's not just healing you for the now. He is preparing you for eternal life to drag you into a life that will never end, that you don't even have to deal with sickness and suffering. That's where he's going with this. And every once in a while, every once in a while, this eternal work that he is always doing in us, that he is relentlessly and ceaselessly at work doing in us, every once in a while that spills its way out into our time and space, and we call it a miracle because we prayed for somebody and they were healed in the moment. We prayed for somebody and they were provided for in the moment. It happens far more often than we should actually expect. But you know why? It's not because that's the big thing. That's just the spillover of the thing that he's always doing in you. Always. We find out also that the witnesses of this work are actually all around us. There's not just one Lazarus running around saying, you know what, Jesus raised me from the dead. There are thousands upon thousands of witnesses in this world to say, you know what? I was dead and now I'm alive. I was blind, but now I see. I was rejected and re I was separated from God and now I'm his child. Thousands. We don't have to look so far for this one guy named Lazarus to hopefully get this story out of him. You could just turn to your neighbor right now and you could find out that nine times out of 10, you're gonna hit somebody that's just like, yep. That's my story. And we would see this if we would just let him strip off 
those old wrappings that clutter our mind and our heart and our eyes from seeing what he's actually up to so that he would remove those hopes and expectations that we might have so that we could see Jesus clearly. And then we might see the impossible thing that he is doing. The impossible thing. That thing, (laughs) the impossible thing. You guys, they weren't ready for that on Palm Sunday. I don't think we're ready for that now. But that's what he's up to. He's up to the thing that we can't even imagine how this is ever going to work out. And it's a lot bigger than the things that we already are imagining. We can't imagine how they're going to work out, right? So how do we do this? How do we, how do we live into and live out this life where he is working this in us? First, we need to recognize what our disappointment with God actually is, Right? We need to re- recognize what our disillusionment and our sense of abandonment, all these things, these are really just our limited expectations falling short of what God's actually doing. So we need to let God just take those things off. You guys, there is a book in the Old Testament called Job. And many times we read this and we believe that this is you know, a, a book that's supposed to teach us about how we go through suffering how we go through suffering and we just won't understand, you know, and, and how we're supposed to see our suffering in this life. But that's not what the book's about. If you read the book closely and you get to the end of it, what you find, this is a book where God finally, and at the end, he's able to break through to Job and he shows him, Job, can you see what I am doing every single moment of your life? to protect you and keep you and to make sure that you are mine, that I don't ever lose you. In spite of what you may see, in spite of the experience you're going through, do you see what I am doing on your behalf all of the time? We need to understand that our disappointments with God are just merely not seeing clearly who our God is and what he's actually up to. Second, We need to trust God for who he is. So we need to recognize our disappointments with God for what they are, but we need to also recognize God for who he is because our God is faithful. Our God is unchanging, unchanging in his love for us, unchanging in his compassion that drives him towards us, unchanging in his relentlessness and the relentlessness with which he pursues this, this rescue that he is involved in, in our lives and the lives of those around us and of this world, of all of creation. You guys, creation is being dragged into the life and the kingdom of God, kicking and screaming sometimes, but he is saying the kingdom of this world is becoming the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. It, it's going to be there. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus is going to return. These things, and our God is going to be faithful to it. That's his one, that is his one plan. We need to trust him that he doesn't change from day to day. And three is this, and this is the key, because if we can do the first, recognize our kind of limited, how sometimes our disappointments get in the way of seeing that, trust in who our God is, then that will allow us to day by day celebrate by faith, not by sight all the time, As you go by what you see, you're going to go down in the depths all the time, right? 
But by faith, what we know, what we know that we know about who our God is and what he is up to, by faith, that every day becomes a day of celebrating what God is actually doing. Celebrating what God is actually up to. Not just every day, not just Sundays, not just special Sundays like Easter or Palm Sunday. Every day becomes a day where we celebrate our confidence in the hope that we have in Jesus. Our confidence in the victory that we know he has won us. And not just for us, but that he has won. You guys, every day for us is like a revival. Why? Because we know God's here. God's here right now. He is moving among us. And our expectations or our desires to see him move in a certain way sometimes cloud the fact, but he is right here. And he is moving around and he is, he is, he is with us and we are like Lazarus. We are like the witnesses that he has taken our lives and he has unwrapped those grave clothes from around us of all those expectations and puny hopes and he's called us out of the darkness of that, of that despair and that disappointment of that grave and he has called us instead out to walk in the newness of this life of just this faith, this trust in this God that we know, that we know, that we know who he is, we know what he is about, we know what he is doing in our lives this life of faith, this life of testimony of Jesus. Amen?